Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. My name is Jason A. Meiske, thriller author and your host for this and every episode of the show. This is episode 61, and coming up, you're going to be hearing from the amazingly eloquent William Bernhardt. He is a thriller author, poet, and podcast host, a writing instructor, and we have a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, But first, back to the show. Yes, this is the show where authors come on and read a sample chapter from one of their books. Make sure you're following the show on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. We do lots of sharing. We share every episode a couple times a week. We share old episodes on Throwback Thursday. And we like to, you know, kind of tweet and share uh, other news from authors and previous guests, uh, things that we hear about and and uh, even some of the things that uh, that you know that I do, some of the things that I do in the background or uh, away from the uh, the cave here where I'm recording right now when I get out and around. So, which uh, I've got some news for that here in a minute. If you would like to reach out to us, you can use any of those methods to reach out to us. But the best way probably is just through email at samplechapterpodcast@gmail.com. Drop us a line and let us know what you think of the show, or maybe you have an author recommendation. Uh, maybe you are an author and you're interested in maybe coming on and, and reading a chapter from one of your books. By all means, reach out to me, let me know, and I'll be happy to have a talk with you and, and uh, we'll get something set up because, you know, that's, that is what, uh, that's what this show is all about. That's my goal with this is not just to have on very successful New York Times bestsellers, although those are fun. I also have a lot of fun talking to brand new writers or those who just have a few books and they're trying to get word out about their books. Reach out to me. Let me know. I will be happy to have you on and uh, we'll get something set up. That is the aim of the show after all. And for those of you who are uh, regular listeners, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you are tuning back in week after week. Thank you to all of you out there who've been uh, giving us ratings, five-star ratings, and you know, bless you, I really, really, really appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind going on to iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, make sure and give us a rating and uh, you know, just leave us a little review. That's how people find us. It helps get more notice out there about the show. And uh, don't be afraid to also you know, click share on uh, whatever your platform of choice is, Facebook or Twitter. Share our posts with friends so that, that way they can also find a new book and a new author that uh, they would they may find on here well speaking of me getting out of the office or out of the cave as it would be uh i got to i got to run out over the weekend and went up to kansas city for the uh, 20th annual planet comic con i had an amazing time uh got in on a couple of panels um not, well it's funny because i wasn't supposed to partake in any of them i was just going to uh saw a uh, previous guest and friend of mine, William Schlichter, he sat in on a uh, panel about uh, about zombies, which was really cool. Uh, and then uh, I sat in some others, just kind of checked out a few things here and there. Uh, then uh, my friends, uh, friends of the show, Pop Goes the Culture Network, uh, they had a live recording of one of their episodes uh, during the con, which was really, really cool to sit there and 
you know, I got to meet Joey Mills, the uh, the creator and of the uh, the head of Pop Goes the Culture. Uh, so it was it was a lot of fun, and I was really really stunned to find uh, that you know see them bring me a microphone and and uh, give a shout out to the show. So that was really cool. Uh, make sure that you're tuning in to Pop Goes the Culture later on this week, and uh, you're going to hear me on there. We have a little get to have a little shout out and talk about it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, and I'll make sure and share the episode as well when it comes out. So look for that on social media. But that that was a blast. I had a really good time. Uh, a little bit sad I didn't get to meet Henry Winkler. He was already gone uh, when I got there. Uh, he had been there that morning. I saw him at a table, uh, like from across the room. I looked over and was just like, oh my God, there's Fonzie. Uh, and I really, really, really wanted to go and sit down and meet him and uh, you know, get a chance to talk to him. And, and, of course, the hope was to try and get him to come on the show. And because uh, he has a he has a line of children's books that he has co-authored, I believe they are children's books about dyslexia. So you know it's not just entertainment, but it's also education, and I, that's just so cool. And I would love love to talk to him, but I missed my chance. He was already gone when I came back upstairs for the rest of the afternoon. And uh, but you know. Fortunately, we have this uh, wonderful thing called the internet, so I'll see what I can do to reach out to him, and maybe one of these days I can uh, get him on the show. I, I did get to meet the one and only Brandon Sanderson. That was an amazing moment because uh, I, I wasn't expected. Just like with Henry Winkler, I thought I missed my chance, my opportunity. Uh, Brandon's lines were ridiculous. I mean, they went around this place, and this is like a this building, if you went to the con, you saw this. The building is like four blocks. <laughs> it's a huge building. And here's Brandon Sanderson's table with a line that goes at least halfway around this place. It was crazy. And people are standing there holding stacks of his books. It's a cool story. So I came back around to his table and saw that the line was all gone. And I walked up and... You know, I'm, I don't remember what he looks like, per se, but uh, I do listen to his show, Writing Excuses, all the time. <laughs> so, I know his voice. And I walked up to this guy, and I'm, like, listening. I was on my, pretending to be on my phone and just casually getting closer. And <laughs> I uh, was listening for the voice. And I was like, I don't think that's him. I don't think that's that. I don't think that's Brandon. Well, then this guy turns around, and he looks at me. Hey, how you doing? And I said, hi. Uh, yeah. This is uh, Brandon Sanderson's table, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, it is. Did you want to meet him? I said, oh, well, yeah, I was hoping to. Oh, do you have something to sign? And I was like, well, no, I don't have anything to sign. Unfortunately, I just just happened to be coming by, and I hoped to meet him. And he goes, well, hold on a minute. And he walks away. And and, uh, just then my daughter calls me up. uh, My kids all came with me to the con, so they were calling up about uh, where we might meet next. (laughs) And uh, as I'm talking to to her... Uh, the guy comes back up. Okay, yeah, I can get you into him right now, but you gotta follow me. I was like, "Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, honey, I gotta go." I like, <laughs> I told her, "I'll I'll call you right back." As I hung up and followed the guy, he takes me through this like weaving little uh, area, like into actually it was like in the middle of the con, and Brandon had this uh, really cool little booth set up where it was like behind some tables and behind uh, some panels, so you don't really see that he's there. And, uh, you know, so I weave my way in and out through there and all of a sudden there he is 
the one and only, no doubt about it, you know, once, especially once he smiled, I did recognize him. I was like, oh, okay, yes, I have seen your picture before. And of course, when he's, when he spoke and I told him like, sir, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, your books and especially your show. And he, he smiled at me. He goes, well, you're out of excuses. <laughs> so it was, it was so cool. Uh, I was, it was a blast. And uh, of course, yes, all of you who were waiting for me to say, yes, I did ask him to come on the show. He expressed interest. Uh, we'll see if there's something we can work out. It goes through other people. It's not something that he himself sets up, you know, cause you know, Mr. What we'll say it this way, Mr. Sanderson, uh, <laughs> he is, a uh, much more well-established than I am. So he's got his people, you know, so <laughs> we'll see what happens if, uh, you know, maybe my people can reach out to his people and uh, we'll see if we can set something up in the, in the future. But man, wouldn't that be something, huh? Anyway, but, uh, yeah, I, I had a wonderful time, met more than 30 authors, uh, around the place. I mean, just, wow. It was so cool walking around to see all of them, um, you know, talking to a few people. There was, there was a couple of, of uh, authors I met with their own bookstores. And that was really, really cool uh, because they, I, I had a card or, or a bookmark, one or the other. Um, I had a supply when I went in and I would give everybody that I met, all the authors out there, I gave them either my bookmark with the show title on there or I'd give them my, uh, my business card with uh, that information. And I had my contact information on all of that. And I'd give it out. Well, these uh, wonderful people with the bookstores, they were like, hey, yeah, can you give me a couple of those? I've got, we know other authors who would, uh, I think would might be interested. So that was really cool uh, to to have met them. And, and that, uh, you know, they're going to try and reach out to more people as well. So, I mean, it's, I, it's it's a bright future for us here at uh, Sample Chapter. We've got a lot of wonderful authors. And hey, all of you authors that were at the Kansas City Planet Comic Con, if this is your first time listening, hello. I am so happy to have met you. Reach out to me. I have your card here. Uh, I've got this giant stack of cards and bookmarks and everything. Yeah, maybe I'll have to take a picture and post it later on. But it's a huge stack. Uh, oh, there's there's my card I got from Brandon Sanderson with his autograph. Hey, I'll, I'll put that in the picture as well. But I, I have this big stack of all these cards, and uh, I will be going through all of them and reaching out to you. But uh, yes, if you're listening to this, reach out to me as well, so that way uh, we'll expedite the process and get you on here that much faster. Anyway, Planet Comic Con was my first time ever going. I will be back. That was a blast. So... <laughs> Anyway, all right, well, let's uh, uh, let's get us on over. we got a couple things to cover real fast. Like, uh, I want to say thank you to our longtime sponsor and friends, U-Storall out of Warrensburg, Missouri. They are the premium place for all your self-storage needs. Whether you're looking for climate control or non-climate control, their facility is fully fenced, gated, 24-hour video surveillance on more than 50 cameras, they're in the process of getting their new buildings wired up right now for electricity. So those buildings are going to be having new cameras go up as well. I hear we're just a matter of a couple more weeks and I think they're going to be over 60 cameras. Uh, so, I mean, they are growing. They are the best place to go in the Warrensburg area. Make sure you check them out online at ustoral.net. That is spelled U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. 
Like I said, I also want to make sure and give a big shout out to all my friends over at Pop Goes the Culture. They are, oh my gosh, Joey, uh, everybody over there. It was so much fun meeting them. Uh, they are a great bunch of people and, you know, getting a chance to talk with Joey for a little bit. He's got big plans for the future of, uh, of his network and things that he wants to do. So make sure to follow the links in the show notes to go over and check out, uh, not only his show, Pop Goes the Culture, but many other shows that they've got in there. Lots and lots of fun stuff. And, uh, they, and they share our episodes every week as well. So I'm really, really fortunate and very happy to be a part of uh, part of their network. As I said, our guest this week is William Bernhardt. And as I used to do an awful lot, I messed up his last name <laughs> right away. And, uh, you know, we, we spent a little bit of time talking and uh, before the show, just kind of loosen things up, get to know each other. And, of course, when I begin the episode, you're going to hear, I just went ahead and left it in there, so that way you can hear me being a fool. Uh, you, you hear me totally butcher his name and you know, remember to go like oh my gosh i forgot to ask you know how to say it and what's really sad is he has the red sneaker writers podcast and i wasn't lying i i listened to like i think every episode over in a two-day span because uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of episodes and they're pretty short they're like our show they're pretty short so they're uh great listens you know for you to check out but yeah i mean for me to have listened to so many episodes even that day and hear his name repeated i still messed it up whenever i got on, got on there and got to talking so uh so mr william bernhardt thank you very much for being so uh, so kind and patient uh with me as i worked that out at the beginning of it uh you know one of the things about uh, mr bernhardt is he's got a series the Ben Kincaid novels, legal thrillers, uh, there's 19 of those. Uh, and, I mean, they go all the way back to, I, I believe he said the 80s or 90s when that came out. I think it was 91 was his first one. So, I mean, they go way back, but he started writing it in the 80s. And he said that uh, this was just before legal thrillers took off with Grisham. So, I'm beginning to think that perhaps, maybe, I'm wondering, is John Grisham... A fan of William Bernhardt. Maybe somebody, you know, on uh, Grisham's team was was spying in on on William's team, you know, and finding out what he was writing and going like, "Hmm, there you go. That's the thing to do." I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe not, but yeah, it could be. You never know. Uh, but yeah, he he started writing these books and he's doing extremely well with them. Uh, but. Just like his legal thrillers, how they, they got in there just before the big boom with Grisham. I, I think he's got to be a magician. Or, or maybe he's got a crystal ball in his office. But the man, he, he, he seems to hit on things just before you know, just before they take off. He, he started writing his Red Sneaker Writers. And that is Singular Sneaker Plural Writers. I did catch it this time. He started writing the Red, Red Sneaker Writers books, which are instructional writer books, right around the time that uh, the the big ebook boom took off. So he hit that just at the right time, you know. And then just like uh, you know, he's getting on with uh, with podcasting as it's taken off too. So I mean, he's uh, you know, if he if if you get a chance to meet with William or speak with him at least, 
and he says something about maybe like some Powerball numbers, I think you better listen to him and write those down because you're probably uh, probably due for a win. Uh, the guy the guy is uh, touching a lot of things, is turning to gold, and uh, <laughs> he's a lot of fun to talk to. I'm going to stop and just get us on over to our interview with William Bernhardt right after a word from our sponsor. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Today, I have a great privilege of uh, once again meeting somebody through Twitter, uh, that wonderful hashtag writing community. Uh, and it's it's really awesome. I got I found his his uh, profile and realized right away I've got to talk to this guy. It is best-selling and award-winning author of over forty books, William. I should have asked you before this. Is it Bernhardt? Yes. <laughs> All right. I, you know, and I like I said, I've been uh, listening to a lot of your podcasts, so I I thought I heard that right, but I should have asked you before we started. Welcome to the show. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, uh, so, wow. I mean, more than 40 books, uh, some historical, legal thrillers. <laughs> my goodness, yes. Uh, what else can you tell us that uh, that we we may not have heard already? <laughs> I can't imagine. I've been very fortunate in this business. I started, yeah, first book was published in 1991 with uh, Valentine's, part of Random House, and... Uh, I started the Ben Kincaid legal thriller series at just the right time, I think, and it caught on and led to other things. And, uh, you know, 47 books later, <laughs> 46 <laughs> books later, since this is my 47th book, the one that just came out. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you went on from the, the legal thrillers, you've got some historical novels, poetry, and then... Uh, the, the red sneaker books on writing you are one yes. busy guy well it keeps me out of trouble <laughs> well now we'll go back to the beginning now how did you get started is is writing something you've always wanted to do it really is even when i was one digit age <laughs> i knew this was what i wanted to do and told people who were usually pretty skeptical understandable when you're growing up in a smallish town in Oklahoma that hasn't seen any writers before. But I knew that's what I wanted. And that's a great advantage. You know, even if it's a pipe dream or seems like it to other people, when you know what you want, you can focus on, okay, now I need to figure out how do I get it and start doing it, which I did. I started writing and putting things in the mail. I got my first rejection letter when I was 11 <laughs> and I've still got it, so I could prove it. <laughs> and I got literally hundreds in the years to come. But 
I mean, there's a reason it was all being turned down. It wasn't any good. But <laughs> over time, I, you know, writing is much like everything else in some respects. The more you do, you bet the better you get. And eventually, I worked my way up to writing at a semi-professional level. And as I said, eventually, uh, sold a book in in 1990. Wow, that's that's awesome. Now, now, where did the legal thriller come from? Well, I was a lawyer at the time. Ah. I was a practicing trial lawyer for many years, and so that seemed like a logical choice. Although I might point out, I started writing the first book, Primary Justice, in the last half of the '80s. So all the, you know, the huge explosion in that field, John Grisham and whatnot, had not happened yet. But right. as, as I said, it turned out to be a good choice. I was just trying to write something I knew a little bit about and created this character, Ben Kincaid, who in the first book is very young and naive and really represented uh, not just myself, but many friends, people I'd seen who go through law school and they're very idealistic, and then they have to make the transition to the real world, (laughs) which is hard. And uh, the first book, he's, he's trying to adjust and find his place in the world and and over the and and I got to continue exploring the book exploring the character I mean over the course of many books that was the great thing about starting with somebody who's young and has some room to grow I didn't anticipate that it was going to be a, a series I was just trying to write a good book but it sold well and the publisher wanted to have more of them and that turned out to be a great thing <laughs> yeah absolutely wow now so at what point did you begin to uh, stretch into the the red sneaker portion of this, where you started uh, writing books on writing and reaching out to help other writers? I want to say that was in the early 2000s, maybe. Uh, no, no, 20, 2010s is what I mean, because the first red sneaker book was maybe 2013 or so. I had been teaching for a while not at a university, but just at, at seminars and retreats and yeah. in the small group situations. And, and I'd speak at conferences, but but I really enjoyed even more than that, the small group settings where I can really read people's work and give them some feedback on, you know, try this, do this differently and and enjoyed that and started doing more of it. And at some point I thought, you know, I ought to have a textbook. So I'm not saying the same thing over and over again. I ought to write this down. And that was how it started. When I wrote the first one, Story Structure, the key to successful fiction is the subtitle. But I thought, here's a topic that almost nobody ever wants to talk about, at least at that time, you know, because they're afraid that if you talk about structure and outlining, that made you seem less... Uh, less artistic is like you were, you know, working, uh, working at like a job rather than just waiting for the muse to whisper in your ear or whatnot. So I thought this is this is a book that needs to be written. And I wrote it. And then that led to the one on character and the one on plot. Even then, I really just expected them to be things I used in my classes and was somewhat pleasantly surprised, but surprised when they started really taking off, not only as books, but as audio books. Oh, wow. Well, my wife, uh, and this, and you know how audio books and podcasts have taken off 
in the last few years. And once again, I was, you know, at the forefront just when this trend was trying to break out. Mm -hmm. My wife, Laura, who's also a novelist and has narrated many audiobooks, uh, and is very good at it. And so we had built a kind of home studio setup. So it's the easiest thing in the world. I could just sit down and read these books. And that's how I created the audio books. And they ended up doing even better than the print editions. You know, as you know, people, the digital has just made audiobooks explode. People download them to their phones. And because these books were short to the point, you know, they weren't long, they weren't expensive, and they really took off. That's why there's eight of them now. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, my goodness. Yeah. The first one coming out in 2010, that's right there at the cusp of the, uh, the, the big boom. So right. perfect timing. Wow. And so, and then that, that's what led you over, or was that the creation of the red sneaker? That, uh, yeah, was that, I think I had already, I don't know. I don't remember how it all started <laughs> somewhere in there. I came up with this red sneaker idea to describe a different approach to writing, which is basically trying to cut away all the uh, artificial artiness and the obfuscation and just basically Boil it down. Here's what you need to know. That's why, for instance, the story structure book is maybe a hundred pages. I'm saying, here's what you need to know. I'm not going to pad it with, you know, 16 excerpts from books to illustrate every point or other kinds of padding that I think you see sometimes in books on writing. I'm just trying to say, look, spend an afternoon. Don't mess up your writing schedule. Just spend an afternoon reading this and then go put it into practice. It's not supposed to be an excuse to not write. It's supposed to help you get to the writing. And I think some people really appreciated that more down-to-earth practical approach. Yeah, it sounds like that's a, a great approach to it. Just just the bare bones. Here's the lessons and what you need to know. Don't worry about the fluff. And, well, what, what I used to do is this. And I, I don't know. I, I think I, I agree with you. I, I would much prefer sometimes... Just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. I'm not saying there's no art or artistry in it. I mean, writing is both an art and a craft, but I think you can present that in a way that's helpful as opposed to <laughs> yeah. not particularly helpful. And that's what I try to do in the books. I completely agree. Well, now, one of the other things I really love about, about your work here, too, is that not only do you have all these thrillers and uh, the historical and, and then the uh, the writer's guides, but you also have a couple of books on poetry. Right. And well, that took that's me a lovely. while to build up. Well, thank you. That took me a while to build up the courage to do. I mean, I've always loved poetry and I've always written it, but publishing it, uh, you know, that, that was quite another thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I eventually got to that point and started sending it out and getting it published. And then I thought it was time to do a book and, now, I've done two of them, and, you know, the, the poetry books have got, gotten me literally the best reviews of my career. Not the best royalty checks, but the best reviews. <laughs> and so that's kind of nice. Well, I think it's, it's – as a writer, I think it really helps stretch your abilities to go – not just other genres, but to go into – because poetry is a completely different beast than than thrillers and i think it really helps flex those muscles uh so that we can improve ourselves as writers uh, would you agree with that yes i would i think poetry is all about trying to say more with less which is you know sometimes the opposite of 
the storyteller's technique is trying to make everything clear, keeping people engaged in the story. Uh, you know, the, the poet, of course, has to be a little bit more suggestive, a little bit more, uh, you know, less is more, to, hmm. to quote a maxim from the architectural world. <laughs> now, do, you have a, uh, do you have a favorite poem out of those? Uh, you know, the first book in the first the first poem in the first book, which is called The White Bird, the second one is The Ocean's Edge, but the first book is called Scratches. And I put it at the first beginning, at the beginning for a reason, because it's sort of about my beginning as a writer. It's about being young and falling in love with books and how they change everything. So that might be my favorite. Oh, very nice. Now, uh, with your, your legal thrillers, the, uh, the poetry, uh, you've got so many wonderful achievements in writing. What, uh, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? Or are you looking to branch into another genre sometime? Uh, not necessarily a, a new genre. I've done about every genre there is, except possibly romance. And I don't think I'm qualified <laughs> in that arena. Uh, but what I'm focused on right now is this new series. As I think you know, just last week, I had a new book come out. It's called The Last Chance Lawyer, and it's legal thrillers, but kind of for the modern age, you know, new hipper cast of characters. The lead character is Daniel Pike, and he's got his eccentric and fun cast of characters. It's giving me an opportunity to talk about some of the things that are going on in the country and the justice system today. Mm -hmm. And another nice thing about this is that I knew it was a series going in, <laughs> so I planned it accordingly. I didn't know that with the Ben Kincaid books, but this time I do. So I have mapped out an arc, uh, you know, for the first six books. Now, just to be clear, each book will tell its own self-contained story, but there is a larger story arc that they all fit into, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. You know, the first one's come out, but I've written the first three, so I'm pleased that sales appear to be good otherwise i would have wasted a lot of time but it's looking good <laughs> oh, that's fantastic yeah i wish you all the best with that Thank you. well uh so how did the uh, the podcast come about because uh, like i said i've been listening to uh, binging really all of your episodes in the last two days and i love it this is a fantastic show how did this come about thank you well it's another red sneaker project one thing led to another i was teaching uh, in various places now i do several retreats uh, people are interested go to my website williambernhardt.com but there are a couple of summer retreats and one in december and we do an annual conference every labor day weekend in oklahoma city that's called writercon website is writercon.org and that led to the newsletter. So I do a newsletter a couple times a month with writing tips and advice and so forth. And then the podcast, which is the Red Sneaker Writers Podcast, which I just started last fall, but I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, podcasting has become such a popular uh, uh, thing and I think it's sort of like a, a gateway drug to the <laughs> audiobooks. The people who listen to one tend to listen to the other, so that's an, another good aspect of it. And another thing I really like about the podcast, I mean, the format is basically I talk about the latest news, what's happened in the book world in the last two weeks, and then I usually do a segment where I talk about offer some writing tips 
often sprung from something that's going on in the world today. And then I interview someone, some writer, editor, agent, movie TV person, marketing expert, uh, psychologist, whatever it is this time. And, and I really enjoyed that because, you know, it's sort of a cliche that uh, writing is the loneliest profession, which I haven't found to be true at all. I, I think it's given me the opportunity to travel and meet wonderful people I never would have met otherwise. But it is true that even though uh, most of my best friends are writers, if we never had some kind of event we all had to go to, we might never see each other. Because, of course, <laughs> your tendency is to stay at home and write. That's how you get work done. Uh, so this you know, forces me to get there and call people up and say, hey, will you do an interview? And, and so I stay in touch with people. So that's another great aspect. It, it really is. And, and I totally agree. And, you know, the ironic thing for me is that because of podcasts, that's how I found my local writing community that mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't even know existed. And there was a uh, actually a friend of mine in Oklahoma had a show a couple of years ago and I was listening to a show and he was giving advice on yeah, reach out and look for a local writing community, look for your writers groups and different things. And I thought, yeah, I'm trying to get serious with my writing, so I'm going to try that. And my goodness, the very next day in the paper was local uh, writers of Warrensburg meets like, today at the library. Where, you know, from this time on, I called my wife. I said, uh, I'm not going to be home for dinner. I'm going to go check out this writing group and uh, see what this is about. And Oh my gosh, it's I've I've found my my second home uh, ever since then, but and that came from uh, the the podcast, which I ended up meeting him later on, and told him how grateful I was for not just all the advice I got from his podcast, but for the things that he's helped me do uh, locally, you know, reaching out and and growing as a writer and finding mm -hmm. this community because now I'm I'm a very big. Uh, a very big proponent of this group and, and supporter of, of everybody there. And yeah, they're some of the, my greatest friends uh, around now. And I just, I, I love all of them and I just want all the best for them. Right. I think great uh, groups like that are great. I mean, if nothing else, it reminds you that, Hey, you're a writer and this isn't a wacky thing. Even though some people might think it is, here's a group of people who are in your tribe. They have the same values that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't also uh, say congratulations uh, as you are the upcoming recipient for the Errol Gibson Lifetime Achievement Award coming up in just a couple of weeks, uh, probably the week after this, this episode airs. Yes, thank you. That's very exciting. I'm blown away by this honor. That's really extraordinary. Yeah, I would say so. This is really something. Where did you've got so many achievements? I can I can see why this. Uh, it seems like a a worthy honor for sure. Well, I appreciate you saying that. When I when when they called, uh, you know, I was my reaction was lifetime achievement. I'm just getting started, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I decided to accept just the same. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, so. I would love to sit here and talk with you all afternoon, I think, but uh, I, I probably should get us over to uh, to the reading here soon. But uh, tell uh, tell the audience where uh, where can they follow you and find you online? Well, my webpage is williambernhardt.com, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D-T.com. I'm on Facebook, 
under that name. I'm on Twitter, W. Bernhardt. Uh, and if you go to my web page, you know, if you're an aspiring writer, go to the Red Sneaker page and sign up for that newsletter. Look at the programs we've got coming up. If you're interested in my books, that's a different newsletter, but you can <laughs> sign up for that on the homepage too. And, you know, I don't, I don't bother people who don't want to be bothered, but if you want to sign up for the, for the uh, newsletters, that's the best way to take, stay in touch with what I'm doing. Fantastic. Yes. And then there's, and then of course there's also the, the Red Sneaker Show, is that right? Is it the Red Sneaker Show? Yeah. Red Sneaker Writers Podcast. Red Sneakers Writers Podcast, that's right. Okay. And, you Singular know, Sneaker, <laughs> plural writers. Red Sneaker Writers. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, definitely. Everybody check out the show. It's a fantastic show. And this has been wonderful speaking with you. I'm, I'm really happy to have uh, uh, discovered you and found you on here. And I can't wait to uh, follow along and listen in some more and of course, pick up some books, and uh, I, I look forward to uh, speaking to you again sometime. Well, let's do it again. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to step aside and hand the floor over to William Bernhardt and The Last Chance Lawyer. Chapter 2 Dan scrutinized the man in the witness stand, Michael Heron. Heron's testimony could convict his client and send him to prison for eight years, depending upon what happened in the next five minutes. His favorite law school professor told him that if you observed a person carefully, you could learn everything you needed to know. So that's what he did every time he met someone new. He took photos with his eyes and filed them away, then used them later to make connections connections that led to greater conclusions. He scanned Heron top to bottom, comb over, crow's feet, crooked tie didn't match, leaning forward. As it turned out, Professor Tepker was right. Mr. Heron, do I understand that you were seated at your desk staring out the window around 11 p.m. on the night of October 23rd. That was my testimony. The man straightened slightly. He was obviously apprehensive, which meant nothing. Everyone was apprehensive on the witness stand, and especially during cross-examination. Awfully late to be working, wasn't it? That's why I'm the second associate vice president, Heron said with more than a hint of pride. But despite how late it was, you could still see outside clearly? The street lamp illuminated the sidewalk. Heron had testified that he'd seen a drug deal go down across the street, and that the dealer in question, a man later arrested with over 10000 in cash in his pockets, was his client, Emilio Lopez. The prosecution's case hinged on this ID. All the other evidence was circumstantial at best. In fact, the prosecutor, Jaslyn Prentice, a generally savvy lawyer, would not have bothered bringing charges but for this one eyewitness. Destroy the eyewitness? Destroy the case. He pulled a document out of his backpack. He preferred backpack to briefcase. Easier to carry, didn't slow you down when you needed to move fast. Mr. Heron, would you please look at Defense Exhibit Number 14? 
Aaron thumbed through the heavy evidence notebook till he reached tab 14. This is the statement I gave the police just after I contacted them. He raised his chin slightly. That's my signature at the bottom. You're sure that's your signature? Of course I am. I can see it plainly with my own eyes. He smiled. Yes, that's the crux of this whole case. What you saw, or could see, with your own eyes. He felt a stir in the courtroom, some of it from the prosecutor's table, some of it from the bench. His reputation preceded him, it seemed. They all knew something was about to happen. They just didn't know what it was. I notice, sir, that you have more pronounced crow's feet and a deeper line between your brows than I would expect from a man in his thirties. The witness appeared thrown. Is that a question? Each time you focus on a document, you raise your chin slightly, but look downward. You did it just now, and I noticed it before when you examined the prosecution's exhibits. More silence. He could tell the prosecutor, Jaslyn, to him, outside of court, wanted to object, but wasn't even sure what he was saying, much less what she should say in response. Jaslyn slowly pushed herself to her feet. I'm sorry, Your Honor. Is Mr. Heron's chin relevant for some reason? Judge Zipperman arched an eyebrow. Is that an objection? Sure, that's an objection, on grounds of relevance. I will admit to sharing the distinguished prosecutor's mystification, Mr. Pike. He nodded. I can make it all clear in about three questions. May I? I'll hold the objection in abeyance for a little while. Thank you. He pivoted away from the defense table, then sprang forward. He loved his Air Jordans. They matched his tie and corner square, didn't violate the court rules, and always put a bounce in his step. Mr. Heron, are you wearing contact lenses? The question startled him. Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. Are those by any chance bifocal contacts? Yes. If I understand correctly, the top half of the lens enhances far vision, while the lower half is for near vision. So when you're looking far away, you look upward. And when you're looking at things that are nearby, like the document you're holding, you look through the bottom part of the lens. And here's a human quirk. We tend to raise our chin before we look downward. He almost felt sorry for the witness. Aaron still wasn't getting it. But a glance at Jaslyn told him that she did. She was three steps ahead of the witness, but he was about ten steps ahead of them both. Mr. Heron, when you spotted someone allegedly making a drug deal outside your window, how far away was he from you? I'm not sure. I guess somewhere around thirty feet. Would you be surprised to hear that it is, in fact, exactly forty-six feet from your desk to the place where the incident allegedly took place? I measured it myself. Okay, forty-six feet. Would it be safe to say 
given your extreme nearsightedness, that you wouldn't be able to see 46 feet away clearly unless you used optical aids? If you mean these contacts, forget it. I just got these a week ago. I wasn't wearing them last October. I had normal glasses then, to correct my nearsightedness, so I could see from a distance. Were you wearing those glasses when you gazed out the window that night? Yes, of course. I mean, I, I assume, I mean... His voice trailed. He could spend the next ten minutes establishing Heron's complete lack of certainty, but Heron had already done that adequately himself. Sir, I'd like to show you a still photograph taken from the surveillance camera operating inside your bank. Unfortunately, the camera wasn't focused on the street outside, so it doesn't help us identify who was involved in the alleged sale. But it gives us a great photo of you. Your Honor, may I approach? The judge nodded. He handed the photo to the bailiff, who passed it to the witness. That's you, isn't it? Heron didn't want to answer. He'd already seen his mistake. Yes, that's me. But you're not wearing your so-called normal glasses, are you? I am wearing glasses. You're wearing reading glasses, right? Cheaters. Granny glasses, the kids call them. Which makes sense, since you're sitting at your desk reading documents. He paused, just to make sure the jury was with him. But those reading glasses wouldn't help you a bit when you needed to see something forty-six feet away, would they? Jaslyn rose to her feet. Your Honor, I must object. Well, you must try, anyway. The witness has already given his statement, she continued. He identified the defendant. He picked the man out of a lineup which only suggests that my client looked more like what Mr. Heron thought he saw that night than the other four people in the lineup. It is not proof that my client is the man Mr. Heron saw on the street. In fact, my client was the only person in that lineup who even came close to the description Mr. Heron had already given the police. My client was the only possible selection, even if his original view was extremely fuzzy. The judge understood. He probably didn't like where this was going, but he knew what he had to do. The objection is overruled. He could have quit there. He had already impeached the witness's testimony. But why not remove all doubt? Mr. Heron, do you by chance have your reading glasses with you? Yes, in my coat pocket. I'm going to ask you to participate in a little demonstration. Again, Jaslyn rose to her feet. Now I seriously object, Your Honor. In-court demonstrations are supposed to be approved in advance. We all know how much potential there is for manipulation and stagecraft. This case should be decided based upon the evidence, not theatrics. Your Honor, he replied, since the witness misled us regarding his visual acuity, and I only now discovered it, how could I have given the prosecutor advance notice? The judge's dour expression did not change. Given the seriousness of the charges, 
and the importance of this witness's testimony to the prosecution case, I will allow this demonstration. He pounced. Thank you. Mr. Heron, I will ask you to remove your contact lenses and put on your reading glasses. Heron hesitated. I don't have a contact case to put them in. As it happens, I have one here. He winked. May I approach, Your Honor? The judge nodded. A minute later, Heron was wearing his reading glasses and ready to proceed. Mr. Heron, I placed five men in various locations on the next-to-last row of the gallery of this courtroom. As it happens, the distance between where you're sitting and where they are now sitting is almost exactly forty-six feet. He paused like a good game-show host, allowing suspense to build. I will now ask the men to raise their hands. They did so. Mr. Heron, you are now confronted with a new lineup, a lineup in which the five choices, instead of looking completely different from one another, look somewhat similar to one another, though far from identical. One of them is my client, but he has changed out of the jacket and tie he wore this morning. The other four are not my client. Can you tell the jury which of these five men is the one you saw on the street that night? Heron hesitated. He leaned forward, straining. He tried looking through the glasses, then over the glasses. It was clear that either way he was not getting the clarity he needed. Mr. Heron, we're waiting. Heron hesitated. I, I, I think maybe... Don't guess, Mr. Heron. This is of the utmost importance. It determines whether my client leaves this courtroom a free man or leaves in chains. Can you tell the jury with certainty which of the five men in the rear of the courtroom is the one you saw on the street? Heron gave it a few more minutes, then conceded. I'm sorry, I cannot. I appreciate your honesty, sir. A slow smile spread across his face. Your Honor, I move to dismiss the charges. And that was William Bernhardt reading Chapter 2 from his latest book, The Last Chance Lawyer. The book just came out about two weeks ago. It's just been certified as a bestseller on Amazon. So follow the show notes and uh, get on over. Grab a copy of it for yourself. I'm going to do the same. Don't forget to also follow the links for his website and much, much more. Be sure to subscribe so that, that way you don't miss out next week when we come back with a new author, another book, and a new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again soon.